You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Jeff Toyster, and Jeff is an author uh, around customer service. We're going to hear a little bit about his books. We're going to hear a little bit about his background and his philosophy. And exciting program. I I think this is a topic that many businesses struggle with, Uh, whether you're in the customer service business or whether your business has a customer service element. Thinking about that, thinking about it strategically, that's what the program today is all about. And with that, Jeff, welcome to the program. Hey, Bruce, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and doubly excited because we're talking about customer service. And in my experience, businesses, as they're scaling, don't talk about customers enough. So thanks for having me. Yeah, good. And, and I think this is a, a key aspect to that growth process. I think a lot of companies that kind of get customer service right at, at an early stage uh, often end up misstepping because they fail to really see the importance of making a strategic priority and, and figuring out how they're going to do it at scale. Because oftentimes, doing it at scale is quite different than doing it at the beginning. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. Why don't we start with uh, a little bit of your background? How did you get into the customer service world? I mean, you've written several books on the topic now. What uh, what happened for you professionally that put you down this path? I think I, I'm, I was very lucky in that my very first job and my very first customer pushed me to where I am today. So when I was in high school, I worked in a retail clothing store. Uh-huh. And the first customer I had walked up to me, and I'll never forget, he asked, do you, do you carry Dockers? And... <laughs> I was 16. I was nervous. I didn't know the answer. The person who was supposed to be training me had spent about 15 minutes with me and then went on break, left me alone. I hadn't even met my coworkers yet. And I said something that we all know you should not say, which is, I don't know. (laughs) Now, you know that. Your listeners know that's the wrong thing. I knew that even at 16. But here's the catch. I didn't have the experience and skill yet to prevent my mouth from saying exactly what my brain was thinking, which is, I don't know. And the customer hears this, gets upset, mutters something about, you know, kids these days, and then storms out of the store. And of course, I feel like an idiot. And I'm I'm kind of an introspective person. So when I experience something like that, I try to figure out what went wrong, what happened, how do I prevent it? Because I don't like feeling this way. And I realized two things really clearly. One, I didn't do a good job and specifically I didn't know the product and I didn't know how to better handle that type of situation. But two, I was not in a put in a position to succeed. The person who was training me should have been training me until I was capable of answering that question, at least at a minimal level. So from that moment forward, every job I've ever had has had some combination of serving customers and customer service training, helping employees learn to be their best and helping leaders 
unlock their employees' hidden potential. I love it. I love it. And what? why is it so challenging? I mean, I think that, you know, at some level, you know, customer service can be kind of natural, but I think that, you know, many, many companies struggle with it. What are the, what are the kind of the, the fundamentals or the, the challenges that make getting customer service so hard, particularly as a company grows and begins to scale? So there, there's a few really big challenges. And the first I'd say is we think it's way easier than it really is. I think executives are, are often kind of flipping about how easy customer service is. And so if we if we are overconfident, then we tend to spend less time there. I mean, is it's company scale, what are executives consumed with? They're consumed with product strategy, funding. They're rarely talking about service and how do we connect with customers, retain customers, improve service quality. So the overconfidence already says that we're going to underinvest in it. The second challenge is, and particularly as companies scale, and I've, I've worked in a company that was growing and I experienced this firsthand. When you are a founder, you probably have some sort of vision in your mind as to what customer service should look like. Hopefully you yeah. do. Otherwise yeah. you've got bigger problems. <laughs> Different episode. But how do you, how do you, how do you hire people to that vision? How do you train people to, to that vision? How do you create systems to make it easy for people to have that same vision? Because guess what? Your employees don't share your same hopes and desires. And if we're going to be honest with each other, I'm pretty sure when you were a kid, I know when I was a kid, you know, I didn't play customer service with my friends. I didn't have customer service heroes postered on my wall. Like, yeah. That wasn't yeah. a dream for me, right? Yeah. So when we're hiring employees, we have to respect that. I think the the third challenge is that we are not naturally good at customer service. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is there are all sorts of obstacles that get in our way, and many of them we're not even that aware of. And so when you have a, a – I'll, I'll give you a, a real simple example. Sure. When you deal with an angry customer, the advice that that I was always given, and you've probably heard this, is – well, don't take it personally. And there's good intention behind that advice. It goes counter to our human instincts. In any other situation where someone's upset and angry, we experience the fight or flight instinct, which sure. is to fight with them, hopefully just argue with them, not physically fight, but argue with them or flee, flight. So get away from them. And in customer service, we're not supposed to do either. We're supposed to take it and smile and then help them feel better. So that's a skill that takes a lot of practice because our instinct is to do exactly the wrong thing. And is that, um, I'm curious if this is something that you find is pretty universal with everyone or are some people just wired to be better at customer service than others? I mean, is this, is this a DNA thing or is this a, a life experience and training thing or what percentage do you attribute to which factor? The percentage part is going to be pretty tough because it'd be a wild guess. Yeah, I will say that it, talent certainly has something to do with it. What is uh, by far more important is the structure, systems, and processes that we put people in. And, and I, I learned this in my last corporate job. I was working for a parking management company, and we had about 500 different locations throughout the U.S. And so I was able to see firsthand how different location managers would run their teams and what was going to lead to success versus what would lead to failure. You know, we had a pretty consistent hiring profile, but then you put them in with a certain manager 
And that average person suddenly becomes great. And you you put someone else in with a, a really low performing manager and that person with all that potential in the world consistently underachieves. So I think more of it has to do with the systems and, and processes. You know, do we make it clear what we want our customer service employees to do? You know, do we make it clear what great service looks like? And do we make it easy for our employees to do that? I like that because I think the other thing that that kind of accentuates or that that brings up is that customer service is very much a function of kind of your business and your business strategy and the brand and, and what you want to like what you want to convey in the experience based on how you want to position yourself. I think I think you you know I'm sure there are you know good general customer service principles, but that idea that a company needs to actually define what does customer service mean to them based on their core customer, their ideal customer, and the product or service that they're they're conveying. Talk to me a little bit about how how strategy for you ends up impacting decisions around sort of customer service or customer experience design and and how to train or how to set up the right system for professionals to be successful from a customer service point of view. So the starting point is defining what I call a customer service vision, which is a shared definition of outstanding service that gets everyone on the same page. And in truth, a lot of companies have have already done this. They just don't connect it to service. So they might create a a corporate mission statement or a vision, or they might have a brand promise and they spend a lot of time and and money creating this brand identity, but they only reflect it outwards. They, They don't really think about, oh, our customer service team has way more authentic interactive touch points with our customer than anybody else. Maybe they should be ambassadors of that brand identity as well. So that's the first point. We, we, we really have to create the shared definition of outstanding service, get everybody on the same page, which leads to number two, we need to make sure everyone understands it and knows how they can contribute. And think about that as a, as a company scales, wouldn't you like every employee you have to understand the business strategy and, and be able to use that as a compass when they encounter difficult decisions on a daily basis. You can't plan for everything. You'd like people to say, you know, here's what we should be doing. You know, example that there's a, a startup I work with called Clio. It's a legal practice management software company. And they define their vision that since they sell to lawyers, they want to create a product and serve customers in such a way that Uh, their customers will be very loyal because it helps them run their practices better, but be so loyal that they're actually vocal about it. They become brand ambassadors. So think about someone on the front lines of customer service, understanding that vision. And I remember listening to some some customer calls and there was a customer called and asked for a specific feature. Now in, in the software world, that's always a challenge because most of the time we don't have the, you know, many times we don't have the feature the customer wants. And what do you tell them? Well, this employee understood that it wasn't just about, well, we'll log a feature request. He understood that the ultimate vision was helping this customer become an ambassador. So he asked a few more questions and tried to understand what the customer's end goal was and ultimately was able to provide a solution that fit within the software's feature set, but it was actually better than the idea the customer had. And so the end of the call, instead of just saying no, and we'll let our, our development team know, he was able to guide the customer to a successful resolution. Interesting. So that comes from engagement yeah. and making sure people know that, which leads to really the third step in the strategy is pointing everything you do as a business towards that vision. And a lot of times startup companies and companies as they scale make decisions that are counter to what they're trying to achieve. Like I worked with a a company that was trying to cater 
to a market of collectors, a very niche market. So people who would know a lot about their products and services, yet they paid almost minimum wage for their contact center staff and skimped on training Hmm. and outsourced about half of their calls to an outsourced provider who knew nothing about their products. So it was completely counter to the vision they were trying to achieve. And of course, it eroded the customer experience. Yeah. How, how much do you, do you sort of advise or, or when you approach these kind of customer service strategies or helping a company with their, their customer service? How much of this is kind of prescriptive, like, you know, call and response or kind of, you know, in this situation, say these things, you know, sort of discussion guides or playbooks around how to respond to common questions and things like that versus general principles and rules of thumb that they can use to kind of guide their decision making in any situation, knowing that, you know, you never know what's going to come at you. We can't script everything. What, what is the, I guess, how do you approach that or how do, you know, what's the combination of those and, and how do you make that work? It's always a set of principles that we apply to the unique organization and the unique culture. And we try to consistently iterate to learn and improve. So we'll go back to you know the software example. You know, in, in, in any company, your customer service team, you're going to get difficult questions you find are tough to answer. But if you start with a vision and say, well, this is our vision, we have to recognize the vision is going to be different in every single company. So there's not one answer that will work in every in every organization. The second is, you know, it's a very iterative exercise to work with your team to say, OK, what are what are some of these difficult questions that we struggle to answer? And there's a really simple exercise. We, we'd say, OK, well, who's answered it successfully in a way that's in aligned with our vision? And certainly someone's thought of something that worked. You share that with the team and say, all right, let's go out and we're going to try this. And so that kind of becomes the way to do it until someone else figures out a better way to do it. So it's an iterative process. You might ultimately come up with some best practices that you share, but putting anything set in stone is, is usually it's it's a danger because there's not one right way to do things. Yeah, I, and I think that it probably can also come across as disingenuous if if people are reading off scripts or it feels like to a customer that someone's reading off a script. You know, I'm sure that kind of that that goes against the whole <laughs> the whole kind of point of creating a good experience. Um, and and I guess one question I have, or one as you were kind of talking about the examples that I realized is. Um, I guess, to what extent is having a customer service strategy, I guess, who do you focus on in terms of, is this just for your frontline customer service representatives who are taking calls and, and you know, that are handling kind of issues and customer service issues specifically? Or is this everyone in the organization? And then and how, how do you approach it or do you approach it differently depending on what part of the organization you're speaking to? It's pretty fatal if you just think it's for your front lines. And, you know, the classic example is, you know, marketing things up a, a really great promotion and they communicate it to everybody, but they forgot to tell the front lines. And so now we get blindsided with a volume of calls that we didn't expect. And by the way, we don't know how to handle it. It really needs to be across the the entire organization. I mean, we, we might, depending on your role, approach things in a different way. Uh, but one of the one of the reasons companies develop silos is that each team and department has its own set of metrics that aren't necessarily compatible with another department's metrics. Yeah. And if you take that away and say, you know, we're all going to be customer focused. So as an example, what a best practice I've seen a lot of customer focused organizations do is is they do uh, customer listening and, and customer empathy exercises. So they'll have 
everybody in the organization spend time either directly communicating with customers or doing what's called ride-alongs, which is, you know, they might sit next to somebody in the customer service department and work with them to better understand exactly what customers are saying, what their pain points, et cetera, are. And they'll go back to work then and they'll be better informed as to how customers are actually interacting with their products and services and what those feelings are that those products and services generate. And if you're a developer, that's you're going to develop better products. If you're in accounting, you're going to understand that it's not just numbers, that there's people at the end of these financial decisions. If you're in operations, you'll understand what delivery looks like versus shouldn't look like. It really informs your decision-making, no matter what part of the organization you're working in. Yeah. And I think that's, you're mentioning something here that I, I think was an interesting idea in that customer service is not just something you do to kind of field questions or, or deal with issues sort of post-delivery or post-sale, um, but can actually be kind of a source of insight or even a, a strategic tool. You mentioned the kind of the, the ride-alongs and, you know, sit, sitting down with customer service professionals or people that are dealing with customer service issues and, and listening in for needs and opportunities or, you know, how to handle some of these things. I mean, I, I guess, do you see or, or have you seen good examples of companies using sort of quote-unquote customer service experiences to actually generate industry insights or product insights that roll into kind of innovation or, you know, development of new products and services? Is that, do you have any good examples or or have seen companies do that? Oh, absolutely. So I'll give you another example, another software company that that I was working with. And they had, you know, the development team kind of released things based upon what they perceived the market wanted. Yet you you would get this volume of of wealth, uh, just wealth of information from your customer interactions. And by the way, stuff you don't necessarily capture very neatly in a survey. It's, It's really just listening and sampling what are customers actually saying? And often your customer service team will say, we'll be able to tell you very quickly and clearly, oh, these are the things they like, and these are the things they don't like. And the the customer support leader was able to take both qualitative and quantitative data to the development team and say, look, these are the top complaints that we're getting about this new release. And this is you know, not only what they are, we're going to listen to some samples of phone calls so you can hear what customers are specifically saying. But here's the impact in terms of contact volume, in terms of potential lost revenue if customers are canceling their subscriptions, you know, yeah. the impact on customer churn. And, it, and when they were able to bring those both qualitative and quantitative data to the table, that really captures some attentions and, and, and help the product development team reprioritize their commitments. And, and so that's just one example, but I, I see company after company do this. Another company I talked to, it was a, uh, they manufactured products that, that painters use. So they would be selling these to professional painters or they'd sell them through, you know, the big box hardware stores. They realized that they were getting over a million dollars a year of what's called preventable returns. In other words, the product worked fine. The customer just couldn't figure out how to use it. And the challenge there is if a customer is returning the product, they're probably not going directly to the company, going to the retailer that sold it to them. So their customers, in a way, was the retailer, you know, better product packaging, better product support, because if the product's working fine and the customer still thinks it isn't, that's a huge perception gap. That's a user design problem. We need to be able to take that data and find a way to not only save the million dollars, but prevent those customers from being so frustrated. Because when they return that product, they're not going to buy another one of ours. They're going to a competitor. 
Yeah. And, and maybe tell three or four friends <laughs> and they're going to yeah. go tell them. Yeah. So what are some of the other classic, I guess, uh, mistakes or missteps that you see companies take as they begin to scale around you know, customer service or customer service strategy? Because I think there's, I, I certainly see, there's a lot of challenges that come up. You know, companies start to grow and they need money and they need to find new talent and they need to kind of refocus on strategy and all these things. But I, I guess, what do you see as being kind of the customer service related challenges that come up as a company begins to grow? So there's there's quite a few. And, and I think we've touched on a, a couple, but they, they probably bear recapping just a moment. You know, One is not having a clear vision for what great service should look like, not engaging our employees with that, not aligning our organization around that vision. Some specific ones that I see as companies scale, a lot of times companies will outsource their service component yeah. for cost reasons and capability reasons, which is fine. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with outsourcing service. The challenge is if I outsource it, it doesn't mean I don't have to manage it. And (laughs) that's, so if I've hired another company to take care of my customers, I need to make sure I'm giving that company all the resources possible so that they understand the right way to take care of my customers. And and a lot of outsourcers, frankly, are are rules-based. So they operate based upon a set of metrics. For example, there was an outsourcer there. One of their metrics that they were contracted with was kind of this, how fast can I close a, a support mm-hmm. ticket? Yeah. Well, guess what happens when you have metrics like that? They're really, really easy to monkey with. So what they would do is the customer would would contact them and say, hey, I got this issue. And they'd be like, well, here's the solution. I'm closing your ticket. So yeah. the, the ticket closing speed looked fantastic. The outsourcer got paid. They're contractually obligated bonus, yet customers have to call back again or submit a new ticket because their <laughs> issue is not resolved, right? Yeah. So you create this cascade Classic. service failures. So outsourcing is a problem. I think that the second thing is is organization scale, there tends to be a lot of cost consciousness, especially if our cash flow is is not where it should be, our burn rate is a little too high. Yeah. And there's something that re- it's really counterintuitive when it comes to service. Organizations are really generally good at, at understanding their baseline servicing costs, how much I pay people per hour, how much a contact costs, what is the cost of service? But what they don't fully understand because it's not really apparent on the PL is the true cost of service. So the example would be, I know it's $5 per contact to serve this person. So I'm going to try to get that down to 450 by, let's say, putting a time limit on how long someone should talk to a customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what happens is if I put a, a clock in front of my customer service rep, they're naturally going to go too fast. One rep confided in me. She said, you know, I have six minutes to take care of this customer. I don't have time to make them feel better. I just have time to tell them what to do. Yeah. And so what when that occurs, you've reduced your cost per contact to $4.50, but that customer is going to call back. So now your cost per problem jumped from $5 to say $9 or $13.50. And you won't see that on your PL. So as companies scale, you really have to look carefully at the true cost of service and are you causing more downstream problems that tend to hide on your PL? Yeah. You know, you mentioned this outsourcing one too, and I see this happen again and again. And and 
you know, you, the companies essentially what happens, I feel, is that companies try to outsource the problem, <laughs> rather than, yeah. you know, and and they they can't figure it out internally. They're struggling with it internally, so they go and outsource it. And honestly, anytime you, out, I think this is true for pretty much anything you outsource, particularly customer service. You know, you outsource and you just exacerbate any problem that you currently have by at least ten, <laughs> because you now have people not in your company trying to struggle with this. And if you haven't, if you haven't solved this and come up with a good strategy, you know, outsourcing is just going to make it worse. And I and I think that's a classic mistake. I mean, it happens. It happens with sales. It happens with customer service. Basically, any department, any function, as you as you take it outside the organization, it's just going to be harder harder to get right. So, you know, certainly getting it, really working it, figuring out what the strategy is, asking you know, asking and answering all those questions, and then going to an outsource provider, you know, with a very clear, precise way of doing things, you know, is, is going to be critical if you want that process to work. So, let's talk a little bit about in the organization. Who owns this? Who should be the person? And, and you know, we can talk about sort of earlier stage and then as a company grows and larger companies, how, who is accountable for customer service across the organization? Who, who generally do you see is in the best position or ultimately ends up having the best position to be able to solve these problems? Do, do you mean at the C-suite level? Well, it could be. I mean, if you think it should be at C-suite, then let's say that it's at C-suite. But if you don't, sure. then we can talk about that too. I have some opinions, but I'll let you. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you give your take. Well, so there's a there's a challenge here because if we designate someone as the vice president or director of customer service or or experience or whatever we decide to call it, everyone in the organization says, "Okay, that person's in charge of it now. I'm not." And and so I, I think. You, you run into a potential internal perception problem uh, when you designate someone in charge of the customer service function. It's not inherently wrong or bad. Uh, you just have a byproduct that you have to deal with. So, you know, who's the champion? Ultimately, it's the, the CEO. And if the CEO doesn't champion customer service, at some level, the organization itself will not. So the CEO has to champion it, even if the CEO is not the one on the front line serving customers, that's fine. But that's usually the person that says, okay, everybody has to align around service. And so if someone has customer service in their title, that means that's part of their function. It doesn't absolve everybody else of being customer focused. And that's where you know, we talked about earlier, kind of silo busting by sharing goals and objectives that are customer focused, having people in other departments spend time with customers so that they really get good insights. Those help those things. I think a company and I, companies as they scale tend to be more guilty of this than bigger companies, which is we we come up with trendy terms for things and it doesn't really change anything. I think it might even obscure our true intentions. As an example, there's a lot of customer service teams that are now renaming themselves customer experience teams. Yeah, I've definitely have seen that. There's the challenge with that is customer service and customer experience are truly two different things. Customer service is a subset of customer experience. Customer experience really is all of the touch points that a customer might have with your organization. But if you rename a department from customer service to customer experience and do not change their job functions, you, you've just come up with a fancy word that really waters down what everybody else is doing. The other one is customer success. We hear that a lot. Those are a little different too. But again, if you're taking the same function and just giving it a new name, I think you're watering things down rather than making things better. Yeah, yeah, kind of putting putting lipstick on a problem, as we say. That's right. <laughs> so I, I know you've got a, a new book out. I think it came out very recently, uh, Getting Service Right. Tell us a little bit about the book. What's the focus of this one? And 
what are some of the the takeaways or the things in it that people will find? It really came out of this frustration of what I call an executive disconnect where executives consistently undervalue service and feel it's it's almost it's way easier than it actually is. And so I I wanted to investigate, well, what are some of these obstacles that we face in the workplace when we're trying to serve customers? And I I uncovered 10 really big ones. And and I'll emphasize, these aren't the only 10. They're just... (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately, it's not just 10. (laughs) And and so the book, it shares real service experiences, real service failures, and then dives into why did the service failure happen? How could the service failure be happening in your organization? And, And what have some companies done to figure out how to resolve it? And it, it's, I think of it as kind of a, a, a cookbook, if you will, to figure out how can I get my customer service team to reach their true potential? Because they do some good things sometimes and other times I'm smacking my forehead going, why are they doing this? Why are they saying this? And, and getting service right helps you figure that out, that why behind those actions so that you can help them consistently deliver better service. Oh, that's great. Um, so uh, we're going to hit time here, but uh, if people want to find out more about you, about the book, what's the best way to get that information? I'm really easy to find. Uh, you can find all of my contact information as well as my book and, and even get uh, my free weekly customer service tips at PoisterSolutions.com. That's T-O-I-S-T-E-R Solutions.com. The book itself, Getting Service Right, is at ServiceRightBook.com. Dot com and you could go there and grab the first chapter and you'll read all about that that story I just shared with you about my first experience serving a customer. You'll also read about a customer experience I had where a cashier looked me straight in the eye and said, I hate people like you. And the reason he said it is because I gave him a $5 bill for a uh, a meal that cost $4.05. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's what precipitated that exchange. It uh. took me a long time to figure out why he said that and why he got so angry. That's a riot. There's a, there's a great Chris Rock video. I don't know if you've ever seen it about him negotiating for uh, a small portion of drink and then he pays with a $100 bill. And if you haven't seen that, you should watch it. Yep. Um, I have not, but I'll check that check out. Check it out. Um, I'll put, so I'll put the link to... Uh, uh, your your website to the book. Maybe I'll find Chris Rock's video. I'll put that on there too. <laughs> I'll put oh, those, you have to now. It's I'll out put there. The, I'll put them in the show notes so people can click through. Jeff, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Bruce, thank you. It was a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you having me as a guest. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.